All right, so 1 John, we're getting into 1 John. Uh, the Apostle John, who wrote the letter uh, that we call 1 John, uh, as best as we can guess, uh, he was probably um, about your age when he met Jesus. I gotta put these papers down. These are sliding all over the place. Um, he was probably in his young 20s when he met Jesus. He was uh, fishing in a boat with his brother, James, uh, and his father, Zebedee, when Jesus walked by um, and said something like, come follow me. And as, as best we know, they're the first two that he called in this way. In John, Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, that writer um, says that immediately when Jesus called them, John and James hopped out of the boat and followed him. One of the gospel writers makes a note that Zebedee had, had, to, had some hired servants that had to cover for their work because they took off so fast. They went to follow Jesus. He's about your age, John was. Because of the tempers and passions that uh, these two brothers had, they were referred to by the other disciples as the sons of thunder uh, for various reasons, uh, sort of fiery tempers, uh, wanting to bring vengeance. Jesus sort of had to say, at least on, on two occasions, hey, hey guys, calm down, calm down. This is John. This is who John is. He remained one of Jesus' closest three friends for the last couple of years of Jesus' life. He was invited into things and places that only a couple of them, a couple of his closest friends got to see and experience. John calls himself the beloved disciple of Jesus. He, he seems to have felt a special kind of intimacy and friendship with Jesus as a friend. He knew Jesus very well. He knew the sound of Jesus' voice. He knew the color of his eyes. He knew the color of his hair, the color of his skin. He knew how Jesus liked his eggs. Yep. Uh, he, he knew the way Jesus walked, you know, the special kind of gait of his walk. He knew how late Jesus slept in in the morning, whether he liked to sleep on his left side or his right side. He knew the very cadence of Jesus' voice. And he knew what it sounded like. He knew him. John, the guy that wrote this letter, knew Jesus in the flesh. Somewhere about 20 years after Jesus' ascension, resurrection and ascension, uh, a little bit less than that, the apostle Paul writes that at that time, in less than 20 years after Jesus' resurrection, he writes that John was a pillar of the early church. Some traditions hold that John, uh, we can't verify this, but this, there's speculation that John actually took Jesus' mother Mary to Ephesus to live later on in his life. After a certain sort of stint in prison for a while, so John was some kind of prisoner for a while, um, it's believed that he remained in Ephesus for most of the end of his life as an elder, maybe even a bishop over uh, what was called um, Asia Minor at the time. And legend has it, this is awesome. This is just legend. I don't even know if it actually happened. But, but if you read this letter with us, you'll see why people even are thinking this. But one legend has it that he would end most of his gatherings, most of his teaching times, almost every time by saying this, every time, little children, let us love one another. So he'd end almost all of his gatherings. This is the, uh, he died, I should say, he died around 100 years old. He was the only apostle that wasn't martyred. Um, so he, he lived uh, right, to right around the year 100, may, maybe a little bit earlier, a little bit later. And we believe most of the stuff that he wrote happened in probably about the 20 years prior to his, his death, somewhere in there. This is John. This is the guy that wrote this letter. And First John is, of course, uh, just simply a letter. And if you don't know this, if you've never heard this, I just want to uh, reiterate this, I guess, or tell you this uh, and reiterate it for others of you, that the, almost the entirety of the New Testament are just letters, they're letters just written from one person that knew Jesus or his friends really, really well 
and wrote a letter to somebody else. And early Christians said, wow, this stuff is, is, is a faithful testimony to who Jesus is and was and what he did. Let's keep hold of this so that we don't let our memories die about this stuff. We trust these men who walked with him and knew him, who saw him in the flesh, who knew all of these things about him, who could recall from memory stuff. One of the earliest writers in church history is this guy named Polycarp, who has a ton of writings. You can just Google Polycarp and read stuff that he wrote right now. Um, and, and he talks about sitting in a room with John teaching. I don't know why, for some reason, that, that somehow almost grabs me more than people sitting in a room with Jesus teaching. I think sometimes I just poeticize Jesus or something. But, the, but I hear Polycarp sort of sitting in the room with John, and I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Somebody just sat there in a room with this guy that leaned against Jesus's chest during the Last Supper, the night that Jesus was betrayed. So John, anyway, he wrote this letter uh, to the church of Ephesus, where he lived, um, where he worked a lot, um, where he knew these people very, very well, and he loved them. And it's most likely the case that First John, this letter that we're reading, was passed around to a lot of places. It's sort of a weird letter in the New Testament. It's maybe the most circular and most repetitive. It can actually be frustrating to read in bits, because he keeps going back and forth and, and keeps repeating themes a lot. It doesn't really have a greeting or, or sort of a, 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 an ending, like a lot of letters that Paul writes. You'll see things like, um, hey, don't forget to tell this person hi, and, and don't forget those parchments in my cloak. Sort of a lot of the New Testament letters end this way. Well, First John doesn't. Um, and a lot of people think the reason why is because there actually were other personal letters he sent. And then he said, but hey, since you're going out to give these letters, take this one with you and give it to any church in the area. The people that are Christians in Ephesus need to hear this stuff. And he wrote this letter primarily to stir up a confidence and a renewed excitement for living in light of who Christ is and what he's done. Let me say it this way. The Christians in Ephesus were living in a time when their communities were divided and they were listening to the contradictory teachings about who Jesus is. I think it's much like our time today. Because of this, Christians were not living out an ethical life and they didn't have brotherly love and they didn't experience confidence in God or confidence in what God has done for them. Is that true for you or for the communities you know? Do you, do you see in, in our midst, in your churches, or if you know Christians, do you see um, a, a lack of living righteous lives in ourselves or others? A lack of brotherly love and affection for other Christians? Or a struggle to maintain confidence in what God has done? These are the reasons John is writing this letter to these people. He's reminding them of what God has done on their behalf and what it means for their life. This is a letter we're stepping into, and it's the one um, we're going to study for the next five weeks. And my hope is that you all will know the voice of God calling you his beloved children. And you'll know that he's calling you to a deeper love and knowledge of him. And you will know that you have reason to have confidence in that. I'm hoping if you stick with us for a couple weeks that this is the stuff that the Spirit of God begins to stir up in you. So I want you to open up your Bibles to 1 John. It's kind of near the end. It's a tiny little letter. You'll miss it five times before you land on it. Uh, digital Bibles in your phone are totally okay. Uh, like paper is not intrinsically more holy than binary code. It's totally okay. Um, uh, if you need a Bible or don't have one, we've got a bunch of them laying around for free. Don't take the one... The ones, it's like blue and white. We got a blue and white paper one that's super cheap. Those are the ones we're giving you. If that offends you, I'll buy you an expensive Bible uh, and then make you feel bad about it. But um, 
but if you need a Bible, we get one for you. Um, and just to say this, and I say this a lot, so if those of you who know me know I'm just going to say this, uh, but it's just a, like a huge thing. Like if you come to church or you go to meetings or you go to class or bring like, bring like something to read and something to write with, you know what I mean? Like a pen. Uh, like don't go to an interview without a pen and a paper. Don't go to class without it. Don't go to church without a Bible and something to write on. Uh, you guys have enough busyness in your minds and in your lives. You're going to forget everything from tonight unless you write it down and make it a point to remember it. So what questions do you have that come from things that get said here? What are things that you want to think more about? What is it that you want to remember and not forget? You will not remember them on accident. So just come, come ready to prepare. I think we even have notepads in the back and pens and Bibles. So there's just no excuse. You can just grab stuff on the way in and take it all from us. That's great. Okay. Um, uh, let's see what else. Uh, also uh, on, on the pews, there's like 50 or so. If you want them, you don't have to use them. It's way nerdy. Uh, just there's a couple little study packets. It's like two pages folded together. It's got a five-week outline um, with all of 1 John in it. And on the back is it just one or two questions for each week. Um, if that's something that helps you wrestle with this stuff and think about it, I use the word wrestle like one out of every 10 words. Uh, love it. Uh, I'm wrestling with how to say it less. So uh, I don't know how yet. Um, <laughs> was not written down either. Um, anyway, um, as we study this for the next five weeks, I want to ask you to read First John. Read it all the way straight through on a slow read, like a super slow read. And I'm, I'm a slow reader. I know it will take you less than four, just shy of 14 minutes on a slow read. If you're a quick reader, it'll take you somewhere between eight and 11. If you're reading faster than that, I don't believe it's possible, but I want to know how, okay? But like, I want to encourage you to read First John with us. Um, read it straight through in one sitting, much as you can. I don't want to put uh, a legalism on it to make you feel bad if you don't do it, but, um, but, but try sitting down for just 15 minutes and reading it straight through sometime. Uh, if you have questions or thoughts, you can email me or talk to our staff, but that's what I want you to do. Okay, let's, um, let's open up First John. Uh, would you put First John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 on here? Um, we're going to be, uh, for this five weeks anyway, uh, uh, I'm going to be preaching out of the New Living Translation. I study out of a different version, but... Um, but I like the way this is sort of worded for our time together. Uh, so this is the New Living Translation. If, if you um, have never known that Bibles say things different in different translations, it's okay. I don't think God's freaking out. Um, I'll talk to you about it sometime. Okay, so First uh, John chapter 1, 1 through 4. Um, this is what John says at the beginning of his letter. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you might have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. God, may this not be empty as we study your word. The letter of John opens uh, with him declaring that he is only telling them what he has seen and heard. You can see how emphatic it is if you look at how many times it shows up in this beginning. I'm only telling you what I've seen and heard, what I've actually seen and heard, what I've touched. He's making nothing up. When Christians use the word testimony, if you've ever heard that, this is what they mean. Jesus asked his friends in the beginning of uh, the book of Acts, if you, if you want to read that, uh, chapter 1, I think verse 8 maybe. Um, he, he says he wants his friends to testify about him. Testify about him. I mean, simply just, just share what you know. Share what you've seen. Share what you've heard. 
Don't make anything up. Do you, do you know that? I don't know what you've heard about Christianity or what, you, what tradition you were raised in, but God does not ask us to pretend or to make up anything or to put on a face or to put on a front. He frees us up to be utterly honest and to share with others only what we honestly know. That's it. And John opens his letter by saying, look, I'm, I'm just gonna tell you. And actually, that's what, I, that's what you heard from the beginning. As we go through the letter, you'll see, I've already told you this stuff. I'm just telling you again what I have seen and what I have heard and what I have touched. I'm just telling you what I know. It's nothing new. It's not something you haven't even heard before. Now, now, some of you may never have heard this before, and forgive me if you have, okay? But John was writing to a community that he did know. He considered himself, uh, or he was called an elder of this community. He called them beloved over and over and over again in this letter. He says, beloved, beloved, beloved. He calls them little children in part because he wants to remind them that God is a good father who cares for his children, but also because he saw himself as a kind of father to them. He knew these people. He knows what they heard and what they came to believe in when they believed in Jesus Christ at the beginning of their faith in him. When they came to believe in Jesus as the Christ and Jesus as the Son of God. He knows what they heard. And I want to suggest to you that it was some, if you can put up the next verse, I think it's 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. This is some of what they heard at the beginning. Um, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. If you ever want to know what love is, okay? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is what they heard. This is what they heard, that Jesus was born a man and that he lived a perfect life, which doesn't mean stuffy. It doesn't mean annoying. It means full full, free, joyful, abundant life is what he lived. And then he died unjustly on behalf of everybody else in the world. And then he, holy cow, rose from the grave. You guys, that is it. That's the thing. And really, I mean, you'll see as I go through the rest of this tonight with you, that is the thing. He rose from the grave and people went, wait, what? Maybe he is who he proclaimed to be because of this. Then he ascended into heaven and, and with the Father sent his spirit to live in everyone who would have life in him and put their trust in him. This is the stuff they heard at the beginning. This is what they heard. And John knows that that's what they heard. I hope you've heard it before. If you haven't, please hear it now. But this is what they heard. And John says, you know that stuff you heard? God who became man, who lived this perfect life, who died for our sins, who rose from the grave, who ascended, that guy, I touched him. I saw him. I heard him. He called me friend. That's what John is telling them. I, you heard this from the beginning, from me, a friend of Jesus. This isn't some philosophical theory that he's reminding them of. It's not an inner truth. It's not some very, you know, sort of poetic language or personal conviction. It's not beautiful imagery that was compelling to them. That's not, that's not what he was telling them. He's really just saying, here's what I know. Here's what I heard. Here's what I saw. Here's what I touched. That's what it is. I'm just going to tell you that again. The church he's writing to is confused about what they believe. And they're struggling to have confidence in what they believe. 
And rather than looking inside of themselves, John points them to something outside of themselves. If you ever find yourself, like me, confused about what you believe about something, struggling to have confidence in if what I believe in is true, John's saying, don't look inside yourself, look outside yourself. Do you know that Christianity is not primarily about what's inside of us? Do you know that? It's not private. We live in a culture, a society, a nation or whatever that just champions privacy. I mean, we love privacy or the idea. We, we don't really, I mean, y'all's Instagram accounts would show me that you don't like privacy in some ways, but like, or Snapchat, I hate that thing. Um, but like, uh, but, but, the, but we, we talk about privacy like crazy in our culture, but Christianity is not private. It's corporate and it's public. Personal, yes, personal, but not private. So let me ask you something in light of that. Where, beloved children of God, where is the substance of your faith found? Where's the meat of it? Where's the confidence in it? Where's the foundation of it? Where's the strength of your faith found? When you struggle to know who you are, when you're thinking, what do I really believe? When you think, what should I do? What ought I to do in this situation or with these things or whatever? Where do you look? Where do you go? We live in a time with sort of this pop theology that tells us to look inward. It's like, I mean, I see it all the time. To find strength within yourself. Dig deep in you. Find that fire within. Rise up. Somewhere in your mind and in your heart, there's something awesome and you just need to go inward super far. Go deep into the recesses of your bodies and your minds and your hearts to figure out what to do. But this is not what God encourages us to do. He encourages us to look to him. To find strength, look to him. To find out who you are, look to him. To figure out what to do, look to him. Why? Well, because first, he actually loves you more than you love you. Like he really does. You have to deal with you. He wanted to. He made you. He wants you. But, but, but second, he actually has answers to our questions. He has resources to offer from his kingdom, and he never grows tired or weary, ever. Why do you look inward so much instead of looking to him? I know the college journey uh, from my own experience and from, you know, uh, whatever, 12 years of walking with college students in it after college. I know that the college journey is full of so many questions and thoughts about identity and calling and vocation, work stuff, gifts, strengths, weaknesses, abilities, relational questions, all these sorts of things. And the temptation, and I think often the encouragement from parents, professors, media, all these things, a lot of people encourage us to just go inward, look inward personality type yourself to death. Take another BuzzFeed thing. You know, whatever it is, spend time alone and just dig in. Look inside and, and, and learn to satisfy yourself, your own desires and solve the mysteries of your life alone in your room. Go figure that out. The author of Hebrews, a different book of the Bible, tells us that, that, we, that, um, that as we uh, run this race that God has set out before us, the only way we can do it only way we can run this race set out before us is by fixing our eyes upon Jesus. Who the author of Hebrews calls the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who started it in you if you have it. He's the one who will begin it in you if you don't. He's the one who will perfect it. He's the one who will finish it. And if he's the one who's doing all of these things, why do we then when we struggle 
like the Ephesian church, why do we then just look inward, not outward? Friends, salvation, and for some of you this may be obvious, but if, I, I fear this might be super offensive to some of you uh, in some ways. Um, if we've never heard it, I'm just sorry you've never heard it before, I guess. But salvation is not found within you. It's not found in the strength of your convictions or the consistency of your emotions and your desire to read the Bible or go to church or not sin or something like this. For some of you, this may be the only time we're in the same room together. And so I wanna tell you that your salvation and abundant life has come from outside of you in Jesus. Your salvation comes not from inner feelings and thoughts, but from someone who was seen and heard and touched and he will be once again. If your uncertainties and anxieties and questions and confusions throughout college and throughout life and in all of these things, the invitation from the scriptures, the invitation from the friends of Jesus is look to him. Him who is faithful and compassionate, who loves you, who can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. They say, lift up your eyes and look to the one who made you. Abundant life is found in him. Joy is found in him, not in grades, not in money, not in respect, not in intelligence, not in being funny, not in being a good storyteller, not in having an abundance of friends, not in a romance, not in you, and not in me, in Jesus. Abundant life is found in Jesus. And while that's good news, it's not good enough because what we need to hear is not just that life is in him, but that he's willing to share it with us. And this is where John moves next. If you can put those first four verses back up, brother, that would be great. So this is where John moves next. He says, kind of right near the middle here, this is why he's telling them this stuff. Why he's saying that this author and perfecter of faith, this one who he, he keeps, I'm gonna tell you again the one I touch. I'm gonna tell you again about Jesus. I wanna remind you about Jesus. Here's why. Um, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. So that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. He's proclaiming all this stuff to them about Jesus in order that they might have fellowship together. In other words, I want you to know who I know because we both know him together. We can join in life together and celebrate this together with him. Y'all, this is crazy. Christians proclaim some really lunatic stuff, all right? I don't know if you've ever given it credit sometimes, the things that we get to say, the things that we do say that's audacious in the world. John is actually saying that he is some of you, I don't think are, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to like make you go, whoa, okay? That's crazy. I just wish I could, and I'll just say that, okay? Um, but John is actually saying that he's friends with God. And when he says God, he's not talking about like a personal little like deity or something that he can fit in his pocket or something. He's saying, so there's this God, this like sovereign God, this like super powerful, all powerful God that existed before everything else did, that there's no challenge, there's no like duality, like it's just him. And he decided to make everything. And so he made like the universe, and like stars and, and the earth, and he made like insects and elephants and everything. And then he, he made humans. And they're so unbelievably awesome that he made every single one of them unique. And in the history of the world, there's never been two of them exactly alike ever. He made all of these people. And John goes, I'm friends with him. I actually touched him, I saw him. Like we hung out together, we ate together. He's my friend. Oh, and I want you to be friends with him too. This is crazy stuff. 
When I talk to, when I talk to people who are like post 40, because I'm, I'm there almost, uh, when I talk to people who are, about, who, who are um, agnostic or atheist and sort of don't, often one of the things that they really struggle with, it's not even like the miracle stuff. It's not some of the intellectual questions that some of y'all have. One of the biggest things that comes up is how can you say you know God, man? How can you say you know God? You're, the fact that you're assuming God exists, fine. I don't know where you came up with that from. It's just really nuts that you say you know him and that you're friends with him. And this is what John says he has. This is what he wants to invite the people of Ephesus into. Fellowship with God by grace. That's the Christian message. What John wants for the Ephesians is joy, which can only be found together with God in fellowship. That's what he wants for them. That's what I want for you. I want you to have fellowship with God. I want you to be his friend. I want him to be a friend of yours. If you, uh, there's a YouTube video that's gonna wreck this whole sermon, um, but I really wanna encourage you to, to go to YouTube and type in Jesus is a friend of mine at some point. Anyway, have fun with that. Um, uh, I just really wrecked the whole sermon by telling you that. Anyway, um, uh, I, I want us to share friendship with God together, but I, brothers and sisters, this can only happen if we fix our eyes on Jesus. If I should be so lucky, if I should be so lucky as to share some life with you over the next four or five years, I don't primarily want to point you, and I want to be honest with you, this is about who we are. It's about who I am. I don't want to point you to a theological A to Z. I don't want to point you to a denomination that is better than another denomination. I don't want to point you to a religious activity that'll make you awesome. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, or the, sort of the good Christians do or something. I don't know. I don't want to point you to those things. I, I, don't, I don't want to point you to even to lifestyle, primarily just to lifestyle decisions that define who we are or something like this. We might talk about all those things if we share life together. We probably will, right? I, that, that's fine. But what I want to talk to you about, what I want to point you to mostly, it's just Jesus. I want to stand side by side with you and look at Jesus and have fellowship with each other and with him. Friendship together with Christ over the course of time. Because part of the promise of the gospel isn't that God can just do a couple things right now. It's that I actually, if you are a Christian and I'm a Christian, we, it's really great if we learn how to love each other now just because we're gonna have to do it forever, you know? Uh, so let's figure it out. Let's, let's get started. Let's see his kingdom come and his will be done now in our friendships because we're gonna do it forever, you know? If you can't stand me for a couple minutes, you're not gonna like me forever. If you can't stand Jesus for, for 30 minutes or something, you're not gonna like him forever. Like, if you believe in the promises of God, let's begin to share the life that he's promised us together now. That's what I want for you. I wanna to look to Jesus with you. I wanna share life with Christ with you. The one who makes us his own. So Jesus does. He shows us the Father. He calls us beloved. He calls us friends. Read the words of his closest friends telling us what he said. I call you friends. The man who says he is with us now in spirit, the one who became the God who became man, that one, the one who was seen and heard and touched by John and by dozens and dozens of people, Jesus Christ. That's what John has to offer to Ephesus. This is what the letter's gonna be about. He's gonna reaffirm their faith by just saying, let me just remind you again about some things. And he's gonna go through things that talking about ethical living, like righteous living. He's gonna talk about community. He's gonna talk about our identity. Next week, we're gonna talk about identity. He's gonna talk about false idols, which sounds kind of crazy, but it's way, way important. 
He's going to go through all these things. But what he has to offer in the midst of all of it is who he has seen and heard and touched. And it's Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that's all I got to offer you. That's, that's all I have. It turns out um, that he's awesome and that I offer you a great thing. Um, but that's it. I got nothing else. I don't have a magical sort of ministry activity for you to do over the course of the next four or five years. Um, I, I don't have a, a, the one book that every college student should read. I actually have like 30. Uh, so you're welcome to talk to me about them. Uh, but I don't have one. Like I, and the reason why I need 30 is because I don't want you to stop at one book. I don't want you to make an idol out of a book or an author. I want you to love Jesus. I want you to see him and know him. And when you start reading 30 Christians' works, well, now you're invited into a fellowship. You see what I'm saying? Rather than just making, this, making my faith about this one other person. That's what I have to offer for you too. My heart burns for you like John's burned for the ones he loved. And I want your joy and mine to be made complete by sharing our life together in Christ. So as a wrap up, I just want to say this. Beloved brothers and sisters, may you know the one who made you, who loves you, and who offers his life for you who can finish the work he's begun in you or begin it tonight. His name is Jesus. And I really, really want, if you share life with us at the house, if you participate in life together here, imperfect and messy and all the other things, whatever, like I think what I want is to share our life together with him in order that our joy might be made full. That's what I want. That's what we have to offer here in this ministry. That's what student leaders that are, that are in this place and our staff have to offer you. That's what our board of directors and all the local churches are hoping is that we have fellowship together in Christ. And in that, our joy may be made full. And I really, really wanna do this over the course of your whole college career. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, great Father in heaven, um, would you send your spirit now to remind every person here that they are beloved by you. If, some, if people in this room do not believe it, I pray that your spirit would be just busting up right up against that. That they couldn't shake the notion that somebody is proclaiming that the God of all creation calls them loved, made on purpose with intention carefully. Whether it is in this ministry or local church, or a small group, or their family, with walking with people back home. I don't know. I don't need, I don't, I, selfishly, God, I want to, I want to, I want to make friends here. And I, I love what you're doing in this ministry with these people. Um, but, but the house is, is, is not your, your full kingdom. This is just one thing and it'll die someday. This will end. What won't end is your church. So my prayer is that all these people in this room would find fellowship with other Christians, that they'd be affirmed and encouraged and built up in confidence in their faith, that their joy would be made known as they fix their eyes together on the author and perfecter of their faith. May we in this ministry be faithful to proclaim Jesus alone and to stand on, on him, the solid rock, Everywhere else is shifting sand. And I ask for your anointing over their entire school year as it begins. May your kingdom come, may your will be done in their lives. May you satisfy their desires. May you speak into the mysteries of things that they wanna know about. And may they be able to share it with others that you call loved and you call your children. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.